Acts chapter 2. We'll also be in um, Acts chapter 1 and a little bit in Matthew 9. You'll see why. I find it noteworthy that Jesus never once said to a worldly crowd, come to church. But he did say to the church, go to the world. We call that the commission, the great commission. It's found very succinctly at the end of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature And whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Whoever does not believe shall be condemned. Go, not come. Leave, not stay. Scatter strategically, not just hang out. Furthermore, Jesus in Acts chapter 1 gave to his disciples the pattern for it. He said that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout all of Judea, into Samaria, and then into the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, we've been camped in Acts chapter 2 for some time. We've looked at what happens when the church gathers together, but we've only briefly identified what's on either side of this passage and what's on either side sandwiched between the passage that we've been looking at so carefully. What's been on either side is evangelism. We notice that in verse 40, with many other words, he testified, that is Peter, and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then verse 47, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So that, then, is evangelism in Jerusalem. As we follow through the book of Acts, we discover the pattern Jesus gave, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, is followed. So that when we get to the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, they're going outside of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, and then the rest of the book of Acts is the uttermost parts of the earth. You remember when Jesus told a couple of his disciples up at the Lake of Galilee, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I don't know how many of you like to fish. In fact, I'd like to just see a show of hands. How many of you like to fish? Okay, great. There even saw a few gals up there. Um, I'm not a great fisherman. In fact, I've never really gotten into it. My dad was big into it. And I think that uh, he was a little bit reluctant that I wasn't. He loved it. And I've never gotten into it, but I did have a friend who loved it. So he took me once up to the Sierras, and he talked to me all about fly fishing, and it was the greatest thing in the world. I'd never done it. So it was beginner's luck, and it made him really mad because I caught the biggest fish. (laughs) I've discovered something about fishing, though, just a little that I've known about it or known people who know about it, that the best fishing is sometimes hard to get to. Now, if you're into fishing, let me ask you this question. Would you rather fish in a place where thousands of people are stepping over each other, 
where it's the same lake that's been fished with the same bait over years and years and years, or would you rather go to a place where though it's a little difficult to get to, it's a little more dangerous in terms of the environment, the fish are really good. Well, I just described missions to you. That's what missions is. And Jesus said to his 12, as the Father has sent me, I'm on a mission from God, basically, so send I you. And it would be good if we would begin to think differently about our lives, that we all are on a mission from God. In fact, that's the name of this message this morning. You're on a mission from God. If we would begin to see that all of us are missionaries to some degree. We all have a sphere of influence. We are sent out into this world by the Lord Jesus Christ. Back at our church in Albuquerque, I remember putting up a sign and having it inscribed into stone in the main courtyard. It was the main courtyard at one time. So that when you leave the church, you'd see it engraved in rock. Go into all the world, signed Jesus Christ. So that everybody would get that message over and over again. It's about his work. You've heard me say it a dozen times at least so far. A church that does not evangelize will eventually fossilize. And so it is not only with a church but with an individual. A person, a Christian who does not evangelize will eventually fossilize. And certainly part of that should take place outside of our borders where the fishing is good and the fish are really hungry. I have a book. I may have mentioned it to you before. It was the title that sold me on the book. It was called Why Churches Die. And I've always been a student of the church and movements. Why Churches Die? And the guy gave a few different reasons as he began the book and he elaborated on them. He said, number one, converts don't become disciples. And number two, disciples don't become apostles, ones who are sent out to do God's work. Missions is a sign of maturity for any group of believers. And I liken it unto uh, a teenager coming of age, growing up and getting involved in the family business, where he finally turns to dad one day. And he says, dad, I'm going to stop running around. I'm going to stop partying. I'm going to buckle down and make your business my business. So you tell me what you're all about, and that's what I want to do. I'm going to join the family business. So you're on a mission from God, and I want to give you several reasons why you are. You're on a mission from God, number one, because of the character of God. I've discovered something about God in general as I read through the Bible. That God is all about sending. God is all about sending. In fact, as I go through the scripture, I find that the message is missions, that God sends people. And I could begin with Abraham. And God said to Abraham, you probably remember the commission there. Abraham, get up and go. Leave your country. Leave your household. Leave your family. And go to a place that I will send you. And he was told to leave. And what was the purpose of his leaving? Just so he'd have an adventure? No, he said, so that in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
The purpose of this mission, the purpose of you migrating from Ur of the Chaldees to this new land that I'm going to give you is that eventually Jesus Christ is going to come and through your seed, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. That is the purpose of any mission organization, hopefully. So that through our mission, our sending, our going out, that the world will be blessed through the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Now, here's the tragedy in the Old Testament. As time went on, Israel forgot that calling to be a light to the rest of the world. And Israel turned inward and it became all about Israel. They became like a submarine, submerged and preoccupied with their own stuff. And they didn't turn outward. That's why God had to send prophets, he said, rising up early, prophet after prophet, telling them things like Psalm 2, ask of me and I will give the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Or passages like Isaiah the prophet who said, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So God's whole mentality was missions. And then we move into the New Testament and we discover Jesus Christ. Talk about a missionary. Talk about a cross-cultural mission. Leaving heaven and coming to the earth... If you have ever traveled to a foreign country, you experience what's called culture shock. You know, there's no McDonald's over there. They're, they drive a little bit differently. There's a lot of different smells, ways of doing things, diet. Every, it's, you go through this period of shock. It's so different from what you're used to in the United States. Imagine the shock of leaving heaven and coming to the earth in the manner in which Jesus did. Philippians 2, he made himself of no reputation and he took on the form of a bond servant. And any missionary that has to pour himself out to adapt to another culture in some degree experiences that. It was Robert Speer who led the student volunteer movement who said, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, then you must follow him to the ends of the earth because that's where he's going. That's where he's going. He said, it's impossible to conceive of God without thinking of him as a missionary God. He came into this world to seek and to save those who were lost. The son was on a mission from the father. Then we move from the father to the son to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was all about missions. Sixty times in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is appearing as the gospel goes out from Jerusalem, Judea, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Sixty times he's orchestrating that. In fact, he's the one who empowered it. You will be filled with the Spirit and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So you're on a mission from God because of the character of the God you serve. Here's a second reason. You're on a mission from God because of the condition of the harvest. Now, in Matthew chapter 9, it says that the multitudes were coming around Jesus and he looked at them. It's at the end of Matthew 9, around verse 37, 36, 37, 38. We're told when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said 
to his disciples. As he looked out at the crowd, he said, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send laborers out into his harvest. Notice that Jesus saw the crowd differently than sometimes we see crowds. We see him sort of as a pain, uh, obnoxious. They're hindering where I want to go. They're around me. I don't like that. Jesus had compassion because they were weary and scattered. That speaks of an inward condition of the soul. In fact, one translation says, He noticed that they were exhausted by their troubles and their long, aimless wandering. So there's Jesus looking at the crowd, looking beyond the withered arm or the blind eye or the deaf ear, noticing a weary condition of the soul. And that's how he viewed the harvest. And this is the bottom line. Jesus cared. And to do missions, it begins with a care, a concern. J.C. Ryle said something. He was a bishop back in England. He said... The highest form of selfishness is a man content to go to heaven alone. Now think about that. The highest form of selfishness is a man who's content to go to heaven alone. We can talk all day about how the church should strategize and mobilize and talk about organizing missions, but it's all window dressing without an essential ingredient, a concern for the lost, a real concern for the lost, to look at people differently than perhaps we have looked at them in the past. Jesus saw they were weary, scattered, exhausted by their troubles. When Jesus looks over the city of Jerusalem, as he's going in toward his crucifixion, he looks over the city and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who killed the prophets and stone all them that are sent unto you. How often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks. But you were not willing. That's a concern. Or Paul the Apostle when he writes in Romans chapter 11. And he says, I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For my brethren, my countrymen, the Jews. I could wish myself were accursed from Christ for them. So leading a person to Christ begins with loving a person with deep concern for their soul. And we talk about that book, Why Churches Die, by Hollis Green. Whenever a church starts turning inward and all the activities are about the enjoyment of the members of that organization, if all of it's consumed with that, it's on the way down. That's where the fossilization takes place. That's where the fossilization takes place. Somebody once said the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of non-members. Then Jesus said to them, that's also in Matthew 9. He said, the harvest is truly plentiful. That's the condition of the harvest. The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into the harvest field. Notice he says, pray for workers, laborers, not supervisors. I don't need armchair quarterbacks here. I don't need people to say, I'm looking for a career. Ministry's cool. I want workers. I want people who do the stuff. I want people who will be willing to be sent. 
If you were to line up all of the lost people on planet Earth, I'm told lining them up back to back, you would form a line around the globe, the Earth. You'd form a line around the Earth 30 times. And the line grows 20 miles longer every single day. That's what we're up against. The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers, the workers, the volunteers, the goers are few. Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send them. So because of the character of God, because of the condition of the harvest, you're on a mission from God. Let me give you a third reason you're on a mission from God. Because of the commission of Jesus. Because of the commission of Jesus. Jesus said, go. Now, this is the way I look at it. If the Lord says go, you don't say, well, why? If God says jump, you only say how high. If the Lord says go, you just say where, when, how. So that really is first and foremost reason why missions is so vital. Because Jesus said go into all the world. It's also interesting, we've been talking about Matthew 9 the last few minutes. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. In the very next chapter, he tells the 12, the ones he told to pray, to go. Now think about that. Picture it. I want you guys to pray because the harvest is great and we need workers. Okay, Lord, we'll do that. Father, we pray that you'll send out workers, laborers into that harvest field. Amen. And as soon as they're done, Jesus said, okay, I'm going to answer your prayer. Go. I find that to be a pattern, incidentally. That as God gives us a heart and we start praying for people around the world, that that heart gets translated into, I want to do more. And we become the ones who go. And what is the commission that Jesus gave? Go into all the world. Beginning at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Sometimes we operate under a false assumption. And if we don't have it, there's enough people around us that have it. Here's the false assumption. Christianity is a Western religion. It's for people in the West. Excuse me, it started in the East, if I read history correct, not the West. They say it's a Western religion. You have no right to impose your Western Christian values on people around the world. That may sound very politically correct. Only one problem. It ain't spiritually correct. There is little tolerance today for missions. Very little tolerance for the idea of going out, leaving your culture, and talking to everyone around the world the need for Jesus Christ alone. Listen to what uh, musician Frank Zappa once said. Quote, missionary evangelism is the height of cultural arrogance. To go to somebody else's country and attempt through trickery, food, or medical treatment to capture souls for Jesus presumes that the guy with the travel budget and the hypodermic needle has a spiritual edge over the native he's going to save. Again, that might sound politically correct. It's not the heart of God. When Jesus arrived on the scene in Bethlehem, there was an angel who announced the good news. And he said, I'm going to bring you good news. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to a few people. To the people right here in Bethlehem or for the Americans later on. 
And he said, I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people, all men, everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not just for God so loved the American Western culture. It's for everyone. Listen, the treatment for heart disease, lung disease, Hansen's disease, whatever it is, the treatment for disease is universal. The treatment for a lung disease works in India, China, as well as America. And the cure for sin is the same in England, in America, in China, in India, Sri Lanka, as it is anywhere else. It's the same cure. It's Jesus and his blood. And he's the doctor who says to all of us, go. You've got the cure. Go into all the world. So because of the character of God, because of the condition of the harvest, because of the commission of Jesus. Let me give you a fourth reason. Because of the coming of Jesus. Because Jesus is coming very soon and we have a limited amount of time to get the cure told. In Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to have you turn to that. Acts chapter 1. I'm just going to start at the beginning and notice a few verses down to verse 11. The former account that I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, which infers he's not done yet. He started something. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I've always loved that. I loved it because... The disciples become very focused on themselves. He said, wait in Jerusalem. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive power. He had a purpose for the power. They sort of interrupt him and say, so now you're going to give us back the kingdom? You know, it's all about us. And Jesus dismisses it. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about setting the date. You get busy. You shall receive with, you shall be filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll receive him and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. Now, when they had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. So can you picture those guys? You're just, wow. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Let me put all of that together for us. They wanted the kingdom restored. They were all talking about the end time and their part in the kingdom. And Jesus said, don't worry about that. 
Be filled with the Spirit and be my witnesses everywhere in the world. And they're just gazing up into heaven. And the angel finally has to redirect them. and say, what are you doing looking up into heaven? He's coming again. He'll come back. In other words, you've been given a commission, boys. And you have a limited amount of time in which to fulfill that commission. He's coming again. He's coming again. Think of it this way. In heaven, whether the Lord comes through the rapture next week or you die in a year or whatever, at at the end of that, when you're in heaven, you'll never, ever, ever be able to witness to another person ever again. Opportunity's over. You're not going to witness anybody in heaven, are you? You know Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Yes, I know that. I'm here. (laughs) You see, all the opportunities are here. You'll never be able to pass out another tract in heaven. You'll never be able to support a missionary in heaven. You'll never be able to go into all the world in heaven. It's over. The opportunity between the first and second coming is our opportunity. And Jesus said, his last recorded message, Revelation 22, three times he repeats himself, Behold, I come quickly. Quickly. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but that was written 2,000 years ago. I don't think it's that quick. He said that 2,000 years ago, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hadn't come back yet. The point is, they expected him to come at any moment. We don't know the day or the hour. We are told to march ahead and be ready. In Titus chapter 2, Paul writes, We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Furthermore, Peter said something interesting, didn't he? He said, one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. So you might think it's been a long time since Jesus said that. Listen, in God's economy, it's only been two days. It's only been two days. Two days ago, Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. So the church has a limited amount of time before the coming of Christ to get the message out. And there's a fifth reason that you're on a mission from God, and I'll close with this. Because of the coming judgment. Because of the coming judgment. Now go back in your mind to what we talked about in Matthew 9 and 10. He looked at the people, and he had compassion on them, and he said, look, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray for for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Typically, when we hear the word harvest, From that passage, we think that harvest simply means evangelism because Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. In the original sense, if you follow the theme of what the harvest is through the Old and New Testament, the word, the idea of harvest is that of judgment, is that of judgment. Jesus and John said, look, the fields are white. He said, white for harvest. There was a man traveling through the country and he looked out of his window and he saw fields and they were light in color. And he said to the guy who was with him, why, why are the fields so white? What is that? He said, oh, it's because the wheat is ready. He said, wheat? I always thought wheat was golden. And his guide said, wheat is golden unless it's overripe. And when it's overripe, it lightens up. And the man wrote afterwards, he said, Then it dawned on me 
That's why Jesus told his disciples that the fields were white. The grain had to be gleaned immediately. They were overripe. The judgment was coming. And if you follow this through the Bible, you understand that when God speaks of the harvest, he speaks of the fact that judgment is coming. And so you have a limited amount of time before they are judged. A couple examples. Jeremiah 51 and the overthrow of Babylon. The Lord said, Babylon is like a threshing floor when it's time to thresh her. Yet a little while and the time of her harvest will come. Or Joel chapter 3, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe for their wickedness is great. Or Jesus in Matthew 13, he said plainly, the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it shall be in the end of the age. Here's my point. Jesus looked out there and he saw the people and he had compassion on them. He saw them weary and scattered, that inward condition of the soul. And he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. But it wasn't that he just had compassion on their weariness. He had compassion because he knew that judgment would come and they would never have another opportunity soon. The harvest was coming. There would be consequences. Somebody once said the kingdom of darkness is sort of like a big cruise ship. And the captain on the cruise ship is the devil. And uh, he announces to everybody on the boat, he says, listen, I'm going to take all the rules away. If you're in second class, you can have an upgrade to first class free. You can have all the drinks you want in the bar free. You can play soccer in the dining room, do whatever you want. And the people on the boat go, wow, what a cool captain. He's cool. I love this guy. They don't know that they're going to be dead in a few minutes because the boat is sinking. They have limited information. And Jesus sees the harvest all the way to the end of the age. And that's what his concern was because there's a coming judgment. So I'm here to say basically to the church that the fishing is really, really good out there. It is. I've been there. It is so good. It is so refreshing. I could tell story after story, but I'll refrain. I'll say that the terrain may be difficult. The task will be hard in certain cases. But all of us are on a mission from God, either as goers or senders, supporters in prayer. We have a sphere of influence, but we're all sent to some degree. I want to close with a story. It's a parable. It came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Week after week and month after month and year after year, those who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. One thing they did not do. They did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. The board hired staffs and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, defend fishing, and decide what new streams they should think about. But the staff and the committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. They only taught fishing. 
Year after year, after tedious training, many were graduated and given fishing licenses. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters where they were filled with fish. But like the fishermen back home, they never fished. Like the fishermen back home, they engaged in all kinds of other occupations. After one stirring meeting on the necessity for fishing, one young fellow left the meeting and went fishing. The next day, he reported that he had caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and scheduled to visit all the big meetings possible to tell how he did it. So he stopped his fishing in order to have time to tell others about the experience to the other fishermen. Now, it is true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen's clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen but never fished. They wondered about those who felt it was of little use to attend the weekly meetings to talk about fishing. After all, were they not following the master who said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Imagine how hurt some of them were when one day a person suggested that those who did not catch fish were not really fishermen, no matter how they claimed to be. Yet it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if he never catches a fish? Is one following if he's not fishing? I had a show of hands at the beginning of this message of how many of you like to fish. And a lot of you said you did. I'm not going to call for a show of hands. I'm just going to ask this question. Do you like to fish for men? And I I mean that, not in the women, do you like to fish for men, but (laughs) do you all like to fish for the souls of men? Nothing better than that. It's my prayer that God will turn us into a group who loves to fish. Wherever we're at restaurant, bring out the hook. At that board meeting, get that net out. And just toss it out and see what the Lord does.